Futuropolis is sponsored by Audible.com with more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at www.audible.com future. It doesn't look so good. It's so powdery. I know, it's like chalk. It's very pastel colored. Oh, God. It's crunchy. It's crunchy. It's chewy. This is supposed to be ice cream? Well, I guess it tastes like ice cream. Kind of. In a weird way. Like ice cream chalk. Yeah. It's very dry, and it's not cold. Nope, definitely not cold. Which kind did you try? This is mint chocolate chip. Ooh. Are they real chocolate chips, at least? I doubt it. No. Yeah, the Neapolitan's not much better. I'm not really sure what that is. Definitely not ice cream. But... But the reason that we're actually sitting here eating this strange astronaut ice cream is because it's what we're talking about today. That's right. And I really hope that future space travelers have something better than this to eat for their dessert, because it's kind of a sad excuse for ice cream. Anyways, I'm Brianna Draxler. And I'm Lindsay Cradwell. And this is Popular Science's Futuropolis, a podcast about the world of tomorrow. And as I said, in this episode, we're talking about the future of food. In space! Back in 1998, space cuisine was not that great. Popular science editors sampled... A strip steak with salt applied in a liquid solution, as in orbit. The meat was dry and, to be charitable, chewy. Lemonade out of a foil pouch had metallic overtones, and cottage cheese with nuts had the texture of spackle. Ugh, very appetizing. These days, the food is arguably tastier. Arguably. Leroy Chow is a former NASA astronaut, and on the International Space Station, he was a big fan of canned fish in tomato sauce, Mm. courtesy of the cosmonauts. He enjoyed the taste, but craved some crunch. Because that's one of the things you miss in space. Everything's so mushy that you really like the crisp vegetables. In fact, we would take like an onion, and, you know, we'd cut an onion in half, and we'd just eat raw onion with with our lunch. A raw onion might not sound that appetizing here on Earth, but in space, having variety in your diet can make a huge difference. Grace Douglas is an advanced food technology scientist at NASA's Johnson Space Center. And she says eating is about so much more than filling your stomach. We've found even from the International Space Station six-month missions, crews come back and they say, your food has been so important on our missions for our psychological health because this is the time when we all get together and we eat together and we get an enjoyment out of it. It's a familiar aspect in this unfamiliar environment that they're in. Eating a mix of good food will be especially important on longer voyages. Popular science used to think that future astronauts would be dining in luxury. In 1965, Werner von Braun wrote... For planetary voyages lasting several hundred days, you can rest assured that it will be shrimp cocktail, filet mignon, Waldorf salad, the works. In order to make that kind of menu, Braun thought we'd lug deep freezers into space. But that would be a huge headache. It already cost thousands of dollars just to send a pound of dehydrated potatoes to the space station. So imagine what it would cost to ship and power a space fridge. So instead, why don't we just grow meat and veggies in space? We spoke with Mark Post, a Dutch physiologist. You may have heard about the hamburger patty he grew in his lab last year. He told us that a space hamburger could easily be cultured in a Petri dish. All you need is a stock of amino acids. Those are the building blocks of proteins. Beef cells. 
Cow cells. Cow cells. Some sugar, a few vitamins and minerals, and a little bit of water. Voila. That packing list weighs a lot less than a cow. But Post still needs to perfect the recipe for a lab-grown burger and make sure it works in zero gravity. Once he does, astronauts might want a slice of tomato or a leaf of lettuce on that cosmic burger. Space veggies are the domain of botanist Ray Wheeler, who works at NASA's Kennedy Space Center. NASA has refocused a lot of their studies on fresh, sort of directly consumable crops, vegetables, and and maybe small fruits. So lettuce, radishes. For taller crops like corn or fruit trees, we may look to genetic engineering. Instead of finding plants that will fit inside a spaceship and thrive in radiation and zero gravity, we can just tweak existing plants. And then there are those who say we should scrap food as we know it and just 3D print it all instead. We talked to David Irvin, who directed a NASA-funded project to print food for space travel. The pizza they made looks kind of... Unappetizing? Apparently it doesn't taste that bad. Maybe it's like the like the space ice cream, kind of. And it may be our best hope for efficient... And tasty. ...food in space. Coming up, our interview with David Irvin. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of Futuropolis is sponsored by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. And as a special offer... Listeners of Futuropolis, we're talking to you, can get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash future. There's a lot of books to choose from, so we would recommend one that was featured in Popular Science not too long ago. It's called Future Crimes. Everything is connected, everyone is vulnerable, and what we can do about it. It's written by Mark Goodman, narrated by the author himself and Robert Dean. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. With more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products, you'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at audible.com future. Now, our interview with David Irvin. Hi, my name is David Irvin. I am the Director of Research at Systems and Materials Research Corporation in Austin, Texas. And I'm really fascinated about this partnership you have with NASA and the 3D Printing Food Project. So I was hoping you could uh, maybe give us a little background on what this project is. One of the things that is very interesting about this is NASA put out uh, a call for what are called uh, small business innovative research topics. And one of the topics was to have micronutritional control in long-term space missions. And they were expecting to hear calls about microencapsulation and freeze drying and all these other things. But we came up with an idea that said, you know, I bet we could take powdered micronutrients and incorporate them into a foodstuff as you make it. And so by micronutrient, you mean? Um, anything that would normally decompose in meals ready to eat. Things like vitamin C, omega-3 fatty acids, omega-6 fatty acids. These are all things that are very necessary in small amounts for humans to, you know, thrive. But if you were to prepackage food, they start to decompose immediately. So what, what was the solution that you came up with as an alternative then? So our solution to that was that you would store the micronutrients in their pure form, And for many things, that would be a dry powder. For some of that would be a microencapsulated powder. For the omega-3 fatty acids, it'd be as a purified oil under an inert gas. 
And then we would take those different materials, add them to other materials like uh, flour and water and oil to have it mixed and then transported to the printhead and be able to print food that the astronauts would be able to eat. So it sounds it sounds pretty pretty high tech. Can you sort of walk us through the process of what it would look like to print a food item? Any any food item, all you would need to know is that the system would be set up with uh, macronutrients, things like flour, water, oil, and maybe powdered cheese or, or a powdered vegetable or fruit so that you could have a variety of different menu items that you could make. One example would be something like a cinnamon roll. In a cinnamon roll, you would need flour, water, oil, and then some flavorants and maybe some you know butter or butter flavor at the end. So you would program into the computer what different amounts of water, flour, oil you would need, but then you would also program which astronaut will be eating this. And so they would be able to calculate saying, okay, this astronaut weighs 70 kilos, this is a male, they need extra folic acid, they're this long into the trip, they need extra calcium, they need extra light lysine. And so those additional ingredients would be added to the foodstuff as it would be mixing. Then that mixed material would be transferred to the printing head, which is then hooked on a a 3D stage. Now the base of this stage is uh, heated, so the material actually starts cooking immediately upon uh, processing it. And how hot is it? Is this like a frying pan or sort of more like an easy-bake oven? Uh, the it would be closer to the easy bake oven temperature. Uh, there's a certain safety parameter we're designing to there. Okay. And so it would be under 100 C to start with, and maybe higher at the end of the bake. To really make that frosting melt a little. Correct. <laughs> so then, imagine you could make a, a snail-shaped traditional cinnamon roll, or you can make it any shape you want with the 3D printer the look of the food was not as important as the incorporation of the micronutrients. And so then once it prints out, for example, we've been able to print multi-layer materials in under seven minutes. Wow. You would be able to either leave it in there and let it finish rising and baking there or apply heat from the top. Uh, Future designs would include a a kind of safe oven that these could be baked in to complete them. Uh, And then for an additional three to five minutes, you would get the top hen baked and then it can be delivered safely to the astronaut to eat. Okay. And so by multi-layered, you mean something more like like a pizza, where you've got the crust and the cheese and the toppings. Correct. Uh, the, the press has really taken on to the pizza idea, and we used it as a demonstration piece because it was layered. You know, we have a dough layer, we have a, a, a sauce layer, and we have a cheese layer. And the demonstration there was also the fact that each of them have different viscosities. So, for example, the dough is very viscous and very hard to process. In fact, it changes viscosity from the moment you mix it until the moment it's extruded. It's constantly changing viscosity. Whereas in the tomato sauce, once it's made, it keeps the same viscosity. And the cheese also has a higher viscosity and keeps the same viscosity. So the idea that we could process three different materials with three different viscosities and have them all come out correctly was part of the demonstration. I see. And and how would this technology be a real advantage to food in space? Let's say someone gets sick on a long mission. 
okay, and then they need to change their diet so they have either low protein or low, low carbohydrates or uh, a low salt, that cannot be accommodated in the already prepackaged food. So what do you do? Just only feed them part of their food? Or, But this would give you an opportunity to say, okay, we need to rechange the diet. We're going to only print this high-protein you know, meal for this astronaut until they get better. Chicken noodle soup 3D printed, huh? <laughs> well, soup would be difficult because of the low-gravity aspect <laughs> of it. But uh, kind of a... Um, a chicken pot pie, if you will, could possibly be done in layers and be done so it doesn't get too squishy. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. So I feel like this sounds awesome, but my big question is, how does it taste? Um, the uh, the foods we've made, they take ex- taste exactly like the components you put in. And so in the, uh, the 3D pizzas we've had, I've heard feedback that they taste like a, a frozen pizza, you know. So, I mean, it seems like that would be tricky, though, with powdered cheese never really tastes like cheese. Is it pretty authentic in, in its ingredients when you boil it down to those, like, basic constituent parts? Well, the dehydrated cheese was dehydrated Parmesan cheese, so all we did was reincorporate water, and yes, it tasted like Parmesan cheese. It was good. So how close are we to this being a reality, then? What, what's the stage that the technology's at? Okay. Just if we were to do printing on Earth, uh, we could build a machine for $1,000. It would print pizzas in your dorm right now. In our research, we're focused on the micronutritional control and being able to process in low or zero gravity. That's a different challenge. That printer is 10 or 15 years out because we have to learn how to mix things in space, make sure that the material sticks uh, to itself in space, make sure that we can clean it and sanitize it in space, make sure all of the micro-ingredients are stored properly for a five-year mission. So the NASA-based system that would be used in microgravity and on maybe the surface of Mars is a good 10 years out to get all the data right. But if you have an extra $1,000, you can probably go out and buy enough parts to be able to start printing pizza next week. In fact, in the Google commissary, they print custom-shaped noodles with 3D printers. And what if astronauts want to get creative? Um, instead of just having a certain number of prepackaged meals that are planned out for you, would they have any opportunity to make a recipe? Very interestingly, my co-inventor, John Contractor, who's an engineer with our firm, he's kind of come up with the idea that... Um, Let's say your astronaut has a birthday, right? So his loved ones back on Earth can email the recipe to NASA. NASA can upload it to the computer, and on his birthday, it'll print out a special cookie saying happy birthday or a little teeny cupcake where it would be customized surprise food from home. So in term, how would you come up with that recipe then? Like for a cookie, it seems like there would be a lot of mixing and complications with that. Well, uh, there would be probably a limited number of things we could accomplish with the size and space that we would be allowed, but we would probably focus on things that involve flour. So breads, pizza crust, cookies, all of these things would be within that realm because there's no baking in space at this time. You know, it would add that certain level of of nutritional fortitude as well as uh, comfort food that they don't 
that you don't have currently in uh, space food. How about, how about on a psychological level? What could 3D printed food do for astronauts? The, the Russians have done a couple of long-term experiments like that where they're locked in a tube about the size of the International Space Center. And they found that morale was very, very, the, the mental component is very important. Of the seven people they put in this, only one of them maintained their normal schedule through the entire 500-day mission. So I think, you know, mental fortitude and morale uh, is probably a critical factor uh, in a 500-day mission to and from Mars. And I know that it's on the top of the list of, you know, things that are going to be a challenge that they don't know how to solve just yet. And if this is a component that helps the morale, it might be that one extra component they can use to uh, keep the mission on track and keep their astronauts mentally fit. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I wonder if you, like, wake up to the smell of a baking cinnamon roll in space. That wouldn't be so bad. I wonder how aroma travels in space. Oh, that's a good question. I would definitely like custom birthday cake. So if I were on the space station or on Mars and it was my birthday, what kind of birthday cake would you send me? What would it say? Well, I know you don't like chocolate. Correct. So I would make you a lemon curd cake. And it would say... I hope your birthday is out of this world. (laughs) Is that a good one? (laughs) That's good enough. (laughs) That's it for our first episode of Futuropolis. If you want more, you can check us out at popsci.com or find us on Twitter at at popsci. I'm Brianna Draxler. And I'm Lindsay Cradwell. Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening. (laughs) Do we do it together? We didn't do that on purpose. Thanks to Sophie Bushwick, our voice of the archives, and to Rachel Fobar for getting us our astronaut ice cream. And thank you also to Henry Malofsky and Laura Mayer at Panoply. Futuropolis is part of the Panoply Network. For a full roster of our shows, visit itunes.com slash panoply. Panoply.